0: The time has arrived and those of you who know me know that I'm a stickler for promptness. It's not a sign of vanity that I'm recording myself. Members of my Sunday school class know already that I tape all of the class sessions for Carlene and then she critiques me. So she left instructions today before she went to Kingsport to be sure and to tape tonight's session for her. So that's the purpose for the microphone here. Let's have a prayer before we begin. Father, we have gathered together this evening as your disciples. We seek new and better ways to serve you through the gifts that you have given us living in community together, and particularly through this church, we thank you for the magnificent things that are taking place here in this congregation and that evidence of commitment in the lives of those of us who make up the church that these things might be done. And as tonight we give consideration to one of the parts of our history that is important to us today, inspire us by your Holy Spirit to utilize what we might learn to make us better citizens both of this country and of your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Late comers may be seated. You started early. No. Back in the 70s when I lived in Chattanooga, I read in the newspaper where a new history of America had been printed by one of the publishing houses that provides textbooks for our schools. And the article said that it had been revised and that no mention was made of religion in the development of America. It had been omitted altogether. Obviously, the textbook was quickly removed because of the outburst of protest against taking the history of America and removing from it the spiritual foundations on which America was built. We all know that America was built upon the premise that every person had the privilege to worship God In his own way. Freedom of religion is at the very heart of what America is. Now, America, open to all newcomers who chose to come, had no society into which people had to fit. Everything that became America was accomplished out of a wilderness and only the convictions of the people who came here to establish a new state. Now, to fully understand what part religion played in the development of America, we really need to go back to the beginning. And to go back to the beginning, we go to the year 313, when the Edict of Milan stated that Christianity would no longer be out of step with the Roman Empire. No longer would they be considered in violation of the Roman emperor worship. Shortly thereafter, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. There was no distinction between the two. That continued down through the centuries and marked what Christianity would become as it matured in Western Europe and eventually the rest of the world. In 800 A.D., after the Roman Empire had ceased to be in around the year 500, in 800 A.D., Charlemagne, who became the military leader of Germany, who had taken over all of Western Europe, was intent on rebuilding the Roman Empire that had fallen, came to Rome on Christmas Day 800 and was kneeling for communion at St. Peter's Basilica. When he knelt for communion, Pope Leo III slipped over and placed a crown on his head, making it appear that It had to have the sanction of the pope in order for him to take the responsibility of king. And that became the temper of the Holy Roman Empire. Throughout the Middle Ages, the church was the strongest institution on earth. It controlled the state. And over the centuries, there was a vacillation between church and state. The reason that this is significant for us is the fact that if it is a state church, then everybody has to conform to what the church says, and the state will enforce it. There was a time of persecution during these early centuries when anyone who was not Roman Catholic would be put to the test of his faith, would be punished. Many times there would be deaths that came from... Wes, your wife's sitting up here on the second tier. This is my son, Wesley. (laughs) He he has expectations, and so he drove in from Kingsport. (laughs) An example of this was in the time of the Spanish Inquisition. After the Crusades, and Spain had been infiltrated, with Catholics, Jews, Muslims, later Protestants. The country wanted to purge itself of everyone who was not Roman Catholic. And so Ferdinand and Isabella called on the Pope to purge Spain of everyone who was not Roman Catholic. One of the bloodiest eras of history when over a thousand people were slaughtered because they were not Roman Catholic to purge the country of everyone. But this is not an exception. The fact is that all over Europe, everywhere there was a state church Anyone who did not conform to the state church was persecuted, caused to suffer for their beliefs. That sets the foundation for a people who wanted to be free to worship God in the way they saw fit and not the way in which the state determined that they worshipped. This continued on the one church the Roman Catholic church in 1054 it split with the eastern orthodox and the roman catholic the center of the eastern orthodox at constantinople the roman catholic church at rome the split came over the role of the pope and it remained a permanent split but apart from that it was the roman catholic church the only church on earth now in the Swiss countries and the German countries back before the revolution the Reformation, there were small groups of Hussites and followers of John Wycliffe who tried to break away into sects of their own, but they were burned at the stake. They were quickly subjected to the church at Rome. At the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther having taken a stand against the church and all of the improprieties in the church, the Protestant church came into being. Then came the time of great travail as each tried to establish itself in Europe. In time, the Lutheran church became the state church of Germany. The uh, Geneva men who brought about the revolution, each one set up standards for their interpretation of what the church ought to be, John Calvin, Zwingli, and Luther in particular, so that after the Reformation in 1517, Christianity was divided up into three factions, Protestant, Catholic, and the Anabaptists. Now, the Anabaptist is a generic term for anyone who believes that infant baptism is improper, and they were willing to baptize only adult believers and rebaptize those who had been baptized as infants. These were in particular disfavor with the church, both the Protestant church and the Catholic church, and they suffered more than any other group during these troublesome years. The Reformation finally came to England. It came at the time that Henry VIII was king of England. Henry wanted to have a male heir to the throne. None of his wives could provide him a male heir, so he wanted to divorce the wives until he got one that could give him a male heir. He called on the Pope to annul his marriage. The Pope refused. So... Henry VIII separated the Church of England from the church at Rome, declaring himself the head of the church. But in reality, the Church of England was nothing more than a Catholic church because it still had the theology of the Catholic church. It had the worship pattern of the Catholic church. The only difference was, Henry was the head of the church instead of the Pope, and All of the monasteries were closed down in England. In Scotland, John Knox was a disciple of John Calvin, and he organized the Presbyterian Church, which became the official church of Scotland. In England, there became those persons who were disenchanted with the Church of England because they saw that it was nothing but a Catholic church, calling itself a Protestant church. This group of people separated themselves from the church. The first group were called separatists. And they were persecuted because they tried to correct the church in all of the ways in which they thought that it was in error. They had to leave England, went to Holland, set up a camp there in Holland where they lived. Holland was the only place in Europe where you could have freedom to practice your own religion. All of the other countries had their state church. You had to abide by that state church. It was about this time then that America began to see people from Europe coming and establishing the colonies. Because we all know 400 years ago this year was the first permanent English settlement in America, and it was a Jamestown colony in the offshore of Virginia. When the charter was drawn up to establish the colony of Virginia, it was done in order to develop commerce in the new world. No question about that. The motivation for settling of Virginia was to engage in commerce for England. But in the contract that set up the colony, the statement was made, the object of establishing the colony of Virginia is to perpetuate the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring Christianity to the natives of America. So even though it was an attempt to expand the commerce of England, it was stated in the covenant that it was to perpetuate Christianity and spread it to the natives of America. So from the very beginning, there was establishment of a religion on the shoreline of America. One of the first things they did was to take the sails from the ship and other wood that they found and built a chapel so that they could worship in this new land. This was a purely commercial enterprise. But knowing about the settlement of Virginia and the possibilities of a new continent, the pilgrims in Holland began to envision a place where they could establish a nation where they would not have to be subservient to anyone. So under John Brewster, they left Holland, went to England, gathered a number of others, and they took the Mayflower ship, and they left England and sailed for America. They got permission to settle in northern Virginia, but somehow they didn't get to the destination for which they had set sail and ended up on the rocky shores of New England. Knowing that they were not in the Virginia settlement, and there would be a lawless land. Before they left the ship, they developed a covenant, which they called the Mayflower Covenant. In it, they affirmed that God was their leader, that under God they would develop rules and principles by which they would be guided. And then when they came ashore, they had a government of sorts by which they would regulate themselves. But the primary purpose was to establish a place where they could worship God without any church, state, telling them how they were to do it and what they were to do. This was in 1620. In 1629, another group of Puritans, the first were separatists. They didn't believe that the Church of England could be restructured to be adequate for what their needs and wants were. They wanted to break away from the Church of England, establish their own. But the Puritans in 1629 wanted only to affirm the Church of England as the church, but to reform it in such a way as it would meet their needs. It was still too much a Roman Catholic institution And so, under John Winthrop, they left England after getting permission to establish the Massachusetts colony, and in 1629, they landed in Massachusetts and set up the Massachusetts Bay Colony. John Winthrop, who gave leadership to this group of Puritans who came to America, envisioned a city on a hill. This is an expression we've heard of late, President Reagan used it at one time in addressing what America ought to be. This was a dream of establishing a nation that was built on the authority of God and upon the person of Jesus Christ. They looked upon themselves as coming into the promised land, just as the Hebrews had come into the promised land in the Old Testament. And they established firmly the rules by which this colony would be governed. And one of the first rules they set down is, you can't think any differently than the way we think. Human nature. As long as you're in the minority, you're wanting freedom. When you get in the majority, you want to deny freedom. Everybody has to be the way that I am. And this was the state of the church in Massachusetts. No one could be a member of the church who could not publicly, before the congregation, state when they became converted to Christianity. It was a Calvinistic church. You were elected, if indeed you were elected, but if you were elected, you had to give credibility to the fact that you were of the election, and the way in which you were to do that was to get up before the congregation and state, I am elected because this is my conversion experience. In the Virginia colony, where the Church of England had been established, to be confirmed in the Church of England, you had to have the confirmation by the bishop. There were no bishops in America. All the bishops were in England. Nobody could become a member of the Anglican Church in Virginia because there was nobody there to confirm them. George Washington was Anglican. Much has been said over the fact that George Washington never took communion. Many tried to take away the vitality of his faith by saying he wasn't a Christian because he never went to communion. George Washington couldn't go to communion. If you were to be a member of the Anglican Church, you had to go back to England and be under the hand of a bishop, confirmed in the church, and then you could be a member of the church. As a result of the strictures in the Massachusetts colony, And the fact that you couldn't become a member of the Anglican Church, church membership in America dropped well below the church membership of other countries of the world. So when you talk about America having been a Christian nation from its very inception, you have to take into consideration yes and no, because as far as church membership is concerned, it was the lowest in all the world because of the difficulty of becoming a church member was a man who lived in England at this time with the name of Roger Williams. He, too, wanted to change the Church of England for the better. He was a Puritan, as were the others. He did everything that he could to bring about change in the church, and then he witnessed one of the priests of the church who became a Puritan, he was thrown into prison. After a while, the church, the Anglican church, took him out of prison, put him in the stocks, and then publicly severed one ear and split the nose on the side of his face to punish him because of his protest against the church. He was thrown back into prison Sometime later, he was brought out again, put in the stocks. The other ear was severed, and the other half of his nose was split, and he was thrown into prison where he spent the rest of his life. Roger Williams saw the handwriting on the wall with this kind of behavior on the part of the church, this kind of persecution against those who were active in bringing about reform. He left and came to America. He was called to be the pastor of the church at Boston, a brilliant man, a deeply committed man, but a man who said, what do you mean everybody's got to conform that no one can think on his own about his faith? We came here to worship freely. He advocated in his church, John Winthrop, All the leaders of the colony said, we can't have this kind of insurrection. Anyone who is not a member of this community, this church must leave this state. They cannot live here because this is a city on a hill made up only of the followers of Christ, made up only of Christians, and no one else can live here. And so Roger Williams was told that he would have to leave. Gave him six weeks to get out of the church at Boston. And then he wouldn't be stilled. He continued to preach against the exclusion of the church that had been established in Massachusetts. When they saw that he was going to continue to preach against them, then they conspired to kidnap him, put him on a ship and send him back to England. He got word of what was about to take place Under cover of darkness, he left his family, his home behind, went to Rhode Island, and there he established a colony in Rhode Island built upon the freedom of religion. Now you see what we have already at this early stage in the development of America. If you live in Virginia, you have to be Anglican. If you live in Massachusetts, you have to be a Congregationalist the Puritans became Congregationalists. There were many who were wanting to come to America for freedom of religion, but neither of these colonies would allow them any freedom. They were no better than they were in Europe. They had to conform to the state church. So it was about this time that Lord Baltimore went to the king and asked for a grant of property for Roman Catholics. He was granted the state of Maryland, which would be a colony for Roman Catholics. He established the colony, but few Roman Catholics came. And the reason that few Roman Catholics came is because most of them were wealthy. They had lands, they had resources that they didn't want to give up and come to a poverty-stricken land. And so it never fully developed into a Roman Catholic colony, though that was what it was established for. And so Lord Baltimore, who was Sir Calvert before he became Lord Baltimore, opened the colony to anyone who wanted to come for freedom of religion. Another colony open to those who would not fit into the category of the state church was Pennsylvania. William Penn, a Quaker, got permission from the king to take the state of Pennsylvania and open it to those who would not conform to the state churches, the Quakers, the Mennonites, the Moravians, other groups which were mainly Anabaptist groups. And there they had the freedom to worship in their own way. So in the very beginning, in the American colonies, you had New England and Virginia with state churches, a duplication of what they had left Europe in order to gain. And then you had Maryland, Pennsylvania, which were colonies that gave refuge for those unwilling to become Anglican or the uh, Congregationalists. When The war broke out for independence. It was primarily the clergy and the church that gave impetus to the war for independence. When the uh, Continental Congress met, there were four clergymen who were members of the Continental Congress, and they had an influence upon all the others to a great extent. The Continental Congress, which was set up at the time of just preceding the War for Independence, made up of representatives from the colonies, which lasted up until the time that the Constitution was adopted. But it was primarily a Christian group. The Continental Congress affirmed the divinity of God. They published Bibles to be given to the (coughs) members of the armed forces. They set apart chaplains for not only the Congress, but for the armies. It was—it had all the appearance that it would be the foundation of America built upon a religious foundation. In every respect, it had that appearance. But the Enlightenment came to Europe with the coming of the enlightenment where science and reason became the order of the day. Revelation was the fact behind the Christian church. The Bible is a revelation from God. His prophets are the revealers of God's mind. God reveals to humanity what he wants them to know. During the time of the Enlightenment, there was the belief that God did not reveal himself in these ways, that he gave it to the individual, the opportunity to think through for themselves. Science was becoming a mature thing in the minds of the people and they were beginning to see reasons behind the things that they had taken for granted as being miraculous. And the Enlightenment Thomas Paine, among others, who were great leaders in the Enlightenment, began to think in terms of a country that was not based upon God and Christ, but based upon religion and reason, science, instead of faith. We hear so often that the founding fathers who adopted the Constitution were not Christian. The the reality is every one of the members who signed the Constitution was religious. They were either Presbyterian, they were congregational, they were Anglican, but the leaders of the Founding Fathers, George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, John Adams, most of those who signed the Declaration of Independence were deists. Deists had not become a formalized thought of the church. The deists were simply those who said, God reveals to us through science and reason and not through revelation. Thomas Jefferson is famous for his statement about building a wall between church and state. But I'd like to read some of the statements from these persons whom we have been told repeatedly were not Christian, to show that, well, that's a political contribution for I don't know how they got it. I'm not running for office, and I'm not going to tell you who that was for either. James Madison, who wrote the Constitution, who was the father of the Constitution, said, We have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. So, though he was putting a great emphasis upon the ability to govern oneself through reason and science, he said, this government must be built upon the Ten Commandments of God. Thomas Jefferson. God who gave us life gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis? A conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are a gift of God. That they are not to be violated, but with his wrath indeed. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. George Washington said, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly implore his protection and favor. Benjamin Franklin at the time of the Constitutional Convention, said, We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. And Samuel Adams said, Let statesmen and patriots unite their endeavors to renovate the age by educating their little boys and girls and leading them in the study and practice of the exalted virtues of the Christian system. So that should dispel for all time the fact that our founding fathers were not Christian and did not intend for this this nation to be built upon the Christian principles. However, Our founding fathers were brilliant men. They saw what was happening in America. In Connecticut, in Massachusetts, you had to belong to the state church or you had no status. In Virginia, you had to belong to the state church or you had no status. There was freedom in Pennsylvania, in Maryland, but by and large, The handwriting was on the wall. If America is to be a nation where people can worship God, it must not be a Christian nation built upon the beliefs of any one particular group, forcing everybody to believe the same way and the same thing. They said instead, we will establish a nation that does not recognize any particular code of beliefs. It will be built upon the premise that everyone has a freedom to worship in the way that he wants. There can be no taxation to support a state church. There can be no extra privileges given to a state church. The country must be totally apart from any particular religious group. And it must give complete freedom of worship by one's conscience, and not by the enforcement by the state. Now that's of particular importance because today we talk about the separation of church and state. Much is being said about the fact that the church and state were supposed to be kept separate, not so. The the state would not support a particular church. It would not give credibility to one group over another. The state would be totally independent of the church, but would provide for the states those principles that are based upon Christian principles. And so it has been. The laws of our land are the laws of the Judeo-Christian ethic, as we well know. But the courts have acted of recent years, to give an entirely different appearance as to what our founding fathers meant. But first, in 1787, the Constitution was written. James Madison was the author of the Constitution. There is no name there for divinity, no name for religion. It is totally secular in its wording. It was adopted by 12 of the 13 colonies. But the 13th colony, Rhode Island, would not accept it. They would not sign the Constitution because they said, it is not clearly enough defined that a state church will not be established. They insisted upon the fact that it be made perfectly clear in the Constitution that at no time in the future will the country, will the nation support a state church or tax the people to support a state church. Roger Williams, with the Baptist Church, which he established in Rhode Island, gave the impetus for the First Amendment of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. George Washington said, let us make an amendment that will make it perfectly clear that the state will not establish a church, will not support a church with taxes. And so the first amendment to the Constitution was written. Congress will not enact legislation to establish a church or interfere with the practice of one's religion and that is the safeguard by which you and I can worship without the Anglicans of Virginia saying, you can't worship here because you're not conforming to us. The Congregationalists of New England can't say, you can't worship here because you're not in conformity with us. America began its life as a Christian nation. Every colony established a state church until the Constitution set the national government above the Continental Congress and made it a secular state supporting all religion and guaranteeing religious liberty to everyone. Had this not been done, America would be no different from Europe that prosecuted those who thought differently from the state church and caused the great migration to America for religious freedom. Now, as I say to my class every Sunday morning, do you have any comments or questions? Yes. Um, first of all, I because it's very good it's I took American history when I was in school. And I uh, think you're right on the track of what actually happened in our country. Um, but I, I wanted to just ask you in regard to um, the government is trying to. I mean, not, no longer exempt the churches from paying taxes. And I know that this is a big trend right now in America for them to uh, consider the churches a non profit organization, but to go ahead and tax them anyway. And I know that this will probably happen, probably, maybe not in our lifetime, but it will happen eventually. Uh, I think church? you're exactly right. I think in time that the tax exemption status will be roof and churches. We're seeing more and more, because of other religious groups coming to America, the fact that, that those symbols that represent the Christian beginnings of our country, in God we trust, the Ten Commandments in the Supreme Court building, the statue of Moses, all of these indications of the fact of our culture, uh, by court, activity they were being taken away from visibility uh, when i was a boy when we came to class we had a bible verse everyone else had to say a bible verse when they came to school <coughs> dipsy sexton always said jesus went <laughs> that's as far as he could go every day he is with jesus went <laughs> I don't recall there ever having prayer in any of the classes of the Bible reading, but I do know that it happened in many schools. When I graduated from high school, we had a baccalaureate service. Many times I've given an invocation at a high school football game. I gave an invocation at East Tennessee State University when I was pastor of First Church at their graduating class. Today, you can't have prayer before football games. Today you can't have Bible readings. I remember reading a couple of years ago where a teacher had put a Bible in her library in the classroom and the school board forced her to remove the Bible from the library. A young woman who had been given an assignment to write the person I admire most wrote an essay on Jesus Christ and the teacher refused to accept it. Going to such extremes that aren't necessary, but it's the tenor of America now to try to remove every evidence of a spiritual foundation for our country. We can't, we can't lose our spiritual heritage, but it's upon the church. It's incumbent upon the church to protect it because the government cannot. The government must not. Once the government gets involved in religious affairs, then there will be those of us who are left out. Those of us who will be persecuted because we don't think the rest do. But we must preserve and keep alive the fact that even though we are not a theocracy, that we are democracy based upon the Christian character and Christian ethics. Well, that's why they're trying to get the Ten Commandments out. Why they're removing it? If it was based on the Ten Commandments that are. Some courts can say, okay, you can it. It's just a matter of Well, once again, it's the courts saying that if they're displayed on public property, it is the government support of religion. It simply comes down to that. And that's stretching it. Yeah. Because all the buildings in Washington, D.C., have all these things on I know it. The Senate the Senate begins each session with prayer. <laughs> Congress begins each session with prayer. The Supreme Court begins its session with, say, God save this court. Uh, the, I mean, this is the statue of Lincoln, uh, I mean, on the Justice Building, all these things that are, you know, uh, pertaining to revenge. I can't hope everything, but I can spill it out there. In time, that will be attacked. It Is just beyond right now of any. But, you know, One Nation Under God, this was inserted in the Pledge of Allegiance back under the administration of Dwight Eisenhower and uh, has been accepted, but now the courts have ruled it cannot be said by students in the class. So we are being threatened by the removal of those symbols that tell us where we came from. The facts are we came from a Christian society. There were only Christians in America when the Constitution was built. This was not Jews. Jews came into New York out of Brazil in in uh, 1655, something like that. And uh the other day, I read Pardon? The New York Times, the words of God's trust was supposedly inverted. Yeah. But the fact is that when the Constitution was written, it was not written to support, to condone any one religion. But the religion of the colonies at that time was the Christian religion, by and large. <coughs> yes? So, ultimately, since we are based on judeo monotheism, right, this was going to come anyhow. Well, you know, America continued to grow. Abraham Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address this nation under God will have a new birth of freedom. So, the status. Brother telling me what to do. I think it's a very good thing the young man that won the golf we this uh, weekend, named Zach Johnson. He gave Jesus Christ the More and more. There have been many sports characters who have given God credit for what they've done, and the media will cut them off immediately. They will they never do never, that. Never uh, you know, I won't get into that. I have my own opinion. <laughs> but I, I won't get into that. I don't like controversy. <laughs> The first two standings in Philadelphia and Denver left off in a lot of the trucks. But then the next standings, I don't (laughs) know I did not get any on this Friday. We did. You did it. I did. Did you? I did. Like yeah, and you know they're beginning to change it from the Christmas holidays to the uh, winter winter break, rather than to give the name of of oh Christ. There's there's an erosion, a definite erosion in removing symbolically what. Our nation is built upon I'd rather they do that than celebrate Ramadan. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm for everybody celebrating what is meaningful to them. Uh, I, I'm, the mo- I'm the most liberal person you ever know because I believe that God loves everybody and any way that you can relate yourself to God, that God is going to be attentive. I think that Jesus Christ opened the door and it's wide open but I'm not going to rule out anybody who wants to be reconciled to God, if they can't find their way through that door. And I celebrate freedom of religion in whatever form one finds it meaningful for themselves. Hopefully, it'll bring them back eventually to the Christian faith. Yes. You didn't mention the tremendous influence that establishment of the university by religious has played in the evolution. Of in the United States. These were the centers that the thinkers were at the time. And uh, they were all established by specific Christian groups. Yale, Harvard. Yale, right. It was a little group. Yeah, I was reading really something very interesting. Some I'm talking about this saying there and other people talking oh, about Our laws and strict construction of the Constitution, etc. And yet, <clears throat> what this particular article is representing publicly, has an article, I do. Um, what does this- establishes the laws within their state regarding possession and consumption of alcohol, and we have states such as Kansas, which historically have always been dry states, if they were to strictly enforce their statutory regulations, there could be no Hmm. communion-wide. Good point. Good point. Jim Wallace, who is public, the editor of Sojourner's Magazine, wrote a book that everybody ought to read, God's Politics, addressing the way that America is handling religion and state. And it's the uh, strictest religious groups in the founding of America fought most bitterly to get separation of church and state. Now that they're in a majority, they're trying to take over the state. But that's the way it works. When you're in a majority, you want to have autonomy. If you're in a minority, you want freedom. If you accept the premise that uh, the United States is a uh, nation of laws, how do you uh, the argument of the secular humanists who would try, who would argue that uh, nativity sings in Christmas in public places and is his favor of one religion over another? I think that everyone should have the opportunity to display their beliefs. I believe that uh, when there's a Jewish holiday that they ought to have the privilege of displaying their beliefs publicly, just as Christians should have the opportunity at Christmas and at Easter to display publicly. I don't think anyone should be denied the right to publicly express their faith and convictions. Uh, We are a country of laws, and the laws protect us. The, The reason for the first amendment to the Constitution was not to protect the government from the people. It was to protect the people from the government. And uh, when we try to make the government rule over the spiritual affairs of the state, we're betraying what the founding fathers attempted to do in the Constitution. Here's a man who's going to Oxford in June. To talk about what I've been talking about today. Don't you think it takes courage to stand up here? You did a fine job. <laughs> he has to say that because he's in my son's school class. <laughs> well, our time is just about up unless you have any other questions. Come back next week and we'll talk about how the church has influenced the development of America, not just in its beginning but as it Brings us up to the present day. You'll work us the pace, you'll yeah. <laughs> well, I always did want to get out of class early when I was in college. <laughs>